Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey listeners, are you looking to monetize your craft? I know many of you out there are independent creators, publishers, educators, and of course, podcasters. If you're looking to monetize your passion, you have to check out memberful.com. Used by the biggest creators online, memberful is providing best-in-class membership software for entrepreneurs and creators and has everything you need to run a successful and scalable membership program. In other words, memberful allows you to build sustainable recurring revenue by selling memberships to your audience. You can send paid email newsletters directly through the platform, for example, without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You can also publish your paid newsletter to a memberful hosted members-only website, putting your brand front and center. And most importantly, you retain full control and ownership of your audience. Setup is super simple, so get started today at memberful.com. That's memberful.com and start earning. This is E2, Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Happy 2022 to all of you. Hope your year is off to a great start. Today is my chat with Jackie Fast, managing partner of Sandbox Studios, an LA-based seed fund exclusively investing in talent-led startups. The VC has already made a number of investments, including one in a sustainable snacking company with Noah Schnapp, an NFT company with the US founding team of TikTok and Sean Mendez, and many others. However, Jackie is probably best known for founding Slingshot, a London-based sponsorship agency servicing some of the world's most high-profile clients, including the Rolling Stones, Formula One, Red Bull, Richard Branson, Coca-Cola, and many more. In this one, we discuss the origins of Slingshot, launching the business with less than 2,000 pounds and a laptop, Jackie's experience with some incredible clients, including Prince and Richard Branson himself, finding her way post slingshot exit and some of the startups that she was tinkering with, her experience applying and landing a spot on The Apprentice, and what's next for Jackie and Sandbox Studios as they continue to invest in some of the most interesting talent-led startups around the globe. And with that, let's get right to the show. Here is my conversation with Jackie Fast. Why don't we start with Sandbox? What was interesting about this, look at the timeline, you guys started in 2020, so middle of the pandemic. What were the circumstances behind the incubation of Sandbox and what was the gap in the market that you identified? So Sandbox has come about very randomly. I mean, I probably want to say probably the only venture fund has come about this way. Um, my background is not finance, not venture. Um, I have an agency background. Um, historically, 
been um, very successful building really big partnerships for brands and for talent clients like Rolling Stones, Elton John, Richard Branson. Um, and I was, I sold my agency uh, and I was looking at starting another agency basically here in LA. And I was having a conversation with somebody who's now a partner in the fund talking about my agency, which was going to specialize in helping celebrities build out these businesses uh, just because I'm an operator. And the person said, well, where are you going to get the money to manufacture, you know, tequilas or water bottles or shoes or whatever I, I plan to kind of roll out? And I said, oh, I'll just work with VCs. And they, they said very cleverly, they said, well, why would you work with a VC when you could be a VC? I said, oh, that's, a much better idea but I am kind of one of those people that like likes to jump in without much like planning or and you know like in, in a way I guess maybe if I'd taken more time I probably would have gotten like you know this is a bit over my head um and I was like yeah that's such a why would I borrow somebody's money when I could just use my own money um so we launched the fund really kind of in April of 2020 um definitely amidst the pandemic I actually think in a way a fund is a better model to launch in a pandemic rather than an agency because an agency is very people I mean so is a fund but agency is very very people heavy um and personal and you know on the ground activation all of that stuff and so we launched the fund we did our first first close in August and and we're we have been making investments since then we've got four under our belts in September so we're we're busy mm -hmm. what are the investments that you've made so far so our fund um, exclusively invests in talent-led startups, just to kind of lean into what I've been doing my entire career. But um, so they have to be talent-led. So that doesn't mean like obviously a Casamigos, Aviation Gym, Beats by Dre is like our ideal thing, but talent-led um, can also be that the platform of the product itself um, utilizes talent. So in that sense, we have one NFT company, um, which it predominantly puts out music, but one of the investors is Sean Mendes called Un Unblocked. Um, we have an emergency kit company called Judy, um, which is incredible. Uh, helps put, you know, food, water, all the safety stuff now that so many homes are dealing with hurricanes and floods and fires um, and power outages, quite frankly. Uh, and we have a sustainable snack company with Stranger Things Noah Schnapp. The first product that they put out was a palm oil-free Nutella, um, which has been kind of like flying off the shelves since it launched in November. And we've got Happy Sake, which is an Americanized sake version spritzer with a model Jordan Barrett. This is interesting. This is a space where, you know, a lot of influencer marketing brand collabs have built, looking at some of these numbers, an $80 billion or so industry. This is a relatively fast growing space in the market, but one that's been overlooked by venture. Why do you think that is? And I suppose this is the swim lane that you guys have identified. Yeah. So, I mean, venture doesn't touch this and yet they do to some extent. So you'll see um, venture capital firms like Lightspeed invest in series A, series B of things like Goop. They've got um, Lady Gaga's um, House Beauty and a bunch of other things like that. But they... They wouldn't say that that's what they look for. What they will say to you is that they're looking at the under underneath the talent in the business proposition, um, which obviously everybody is doing and we are as well. One thing that we've got an edge on that nobody else in venture has um, is I have worked with talent for 20 years. I can spot what's going to be authentic, what works, who's going to peddle, how, how to manage a talent deal, how to manage the assets, how to leverage those assets for the business. That is all I have been doing. And it is an art form. Um, and very, very few people even work in that field. And I am one of like probably 10 people who kind of do this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been able to take that expertise um, and apply it to venture. So we have a skill set that you won't find in venture. Venture would be, it, most people in venture and venture capital funds would really struggle to identify how to pick out a talent deal at seed stage. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, and then there's the, you know, there's the obvious move towards it. I think a lot of people are, are tired of spending crazy amounts for customer acquisition in Facebook and Google. And quite frankly, most most CPG brands don't really know what else to do. I think there's a lot of people who are like super excited that the internet has led way for startups to exist without bricks and mortar. Um, and then, you know, as time has gone on, have been com- completely squeezed out. So what you see is a lot of brands that can kind of hit a million, 1.5, 2 million well, um, and then can't scale because the cost of customer acquisition, they don't understand their brand, there's no product market fit, and yet they've got sales. So talent is a way to get an audience. It leverages relationships like retailers um, and suppliers. So, you know, Target wants people to come to the store. What gets people excited in the store, you know, other things that are going on. So what we do with our talent is we get them to work with our distribution partners. So we can do that. Most brands can't. Going back to something you were saying about cost of acquisition going up. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, 2010 through 2013, that was a really low CPC, CPM environment for a lot of brands to start up. You know, during that period of time, you had the Birch Boxes, you had the Epsys and some of these other brands that were incubated um, in a very sort of low customer acquisition cost environment. Now you have the opposite happening where you've got increased CPC, CPM rates Uh, channel monopolization happening through Facebook and Instagram. And companies are really scrambling, looking for other channels and unique channels to acquire customers. So I think you've hit on something here. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I do keep kind of like going back to, because I feel like we keep having the same conversations with brands, but, you know, brands existed before Facebook. You know, Mm -hmm. there there is a way to build a brand without like completely um, going digital. And I think there's been too much of a reliance um, on digital marketing to grow sales. And that really shouldn't, I mean, I'm a big fan of omni-channel. Like I think you need a really strong strategy that allows people to engage with your product, both online and offline. And without that, I just think, you know, you can pay for as many sales as you want. It's still not a business. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go and source deals, at least top of funnel, do you identify talent first or do you identify the business model first and then bring on the talent? So we don't, technically bring on talent um so i used to do that and it is Mm. hard slog so Mm. i can do it and we will do it for a really exceptional founder or really exceptional brand i've done it three times since we've launched Um, but typically our fund only looks at talent-led brands so um since september we've already looked at 120 talent-led brands if you can believe it which is like insane so we have seen every talent-led project going or in existence or raising or being planned out and those are the ones that we kind of assess you know looking at some of this talent collaboration stuff that's happening in the market so harry's partnered with ashley graham who's a model to create and sell a line of body hair uh, removal kits fab fit fun has instagram influencer celebrity partners like chloe kardashian kristen cavallari and others uh, ipsy got together with chloe kardashian and halsey to appeal to its millennial base the list goes on here to me it seems obvious what's in it for the brand uh, but in your opinion why do you think celebs are gravitating towards these kinds of partnerships a really good question nobody ever asked me that um i think 
talent recognize that they can monetize white space for them. So um, Khloe Kardashian, the Kardashians are slightly different because they are very business savvy and they kind of, they use their platform and they know what they're doing. But let's just take an, a typical, I was just going to, actually, I'll just, I might as well just use people. Okay. Um, Sophia Bush is somebody um, we're, we're kind of speaking with. So Sophia Bush is activist. She's also an actress. She was on One Tree Hill. Um, she's currently filming something right now. She does 16 hour days. She's on set 16 hour days. Her husband's not released. Like nobody sees her because she's like working 24. And when she's not working, she's sleeping. Um, but if she is a face of her brand, a partner of her brand, she's basically able to get more money without doing that much more work. So it's not like these celebrities are going in like nine to five and like crunching paperwork, right? They they lend their face, their assets, their name, um, their kind of gold sparkle dust. And that can be done at any point. So when Sophia Bush gets offset, she'll probably have like two, three months like until the next project, etc. That's downtime that she could then hypothetically, if she was working on a brand, um, do all the shoots, put together the press comments, all of that stuff. And then you've got a team that manages the distribution of that. So her one day is really like a year's work for a brand, which can be leveraged on her downtime. So it's an easy way for people to do that. That's, that's like the, that's the basic reason why celebrities are doing it obviously why wouldn't you make more money when you could make more money um but the truth of the matter is i think a lot of celebrities are seeing other celebrities capitalize on enormous upside and so there's no risk um and also talent typically get paid cash and equity so why wouldn't you do it beyond that i think people want to be jay-z i honestly think like people i do i just think like so many so many celebrity actors are like, oh, well, Dwayne Johnson did this. Jay-Z could do this so I can do this and don't really appreciate or understand how hard it is to do that. Going back to your uh, first book, Pinpoint, talk about monetizing sponsorship and monetizing yourself. And the first step in the process is understanding assets. So I assume this is a perfect example of celebrities understanding themselves as the primary asset and then taking things to the next level. So what I used to do and what Pinpoint does is it works with events, online platforms, offline platforms, brands, and looking at kind of where, where you can monetize unused assets or areas of the business that are probably doing something for you, but could be doing something more in partnership with something else. Talent really only have a couple assets. They have their audience, they have their name, they have their image, and that is about it. Um, so the strength of that really lies in personal brand. So what you'll find is very kind of average type celebrities that don't really stand for something, maybe don't have a message, maybe aren't as unique, tend to be priced less than people like Zoe Kravitz, who has a very strong personal brand. She like knows what it is she stands for. Jane, I mean, I love Jane Fonda as well. People that are like activists in certain areas really help reinforce brand messages. So because they don't have a lot of assets, you have to really heavily rely on what it is that they stand for. And more importantly, I mean, that's important now, but as the younger consumer, I mean, the younger consumer is just more savvy. And so that becomes more important as time goes on. At the moment now, truthfully, people are just looking for reach. Okay, let's rewind back to the beginning uh, of your entrepreneurial days. Let's, let's talk about Slingshot. So this is your first business, right? You incubate this 
in your bedroom in London in 2010 with a laptop and 2,000 pounds. Um, circumstances must have been bizarre around how you got this business started. What was going on? So um, I'm Canadian. I came with a working holiday visa. Uh, I planned to only stay two months. I ended up staying 20 years. But um, when I was there, I was just like, oh my goodness, London's so amazing. I come from a small suburb outside of Vancouver in Canada. And I was just like blown away with the size, the scale and the opportunity of London. And I just wanted to do anything I could do to stay. And I very kindly was given a sponsorship job, which came from a v- which came with a visa. So I, you know, learned how to do sponsorship as best as I could. Um, but out of that, I had never had sponsorship experience. And so my take on how to create a good partnership was very, um, I guess, un- unguided, but also like, untarnished as well um and so it really came kind of came up with my own idea and my my own method for doing it and turned out that my method was much better than other people's methods i i did an amazing job in my role as a sponsorship manager at the direct marketing association and my boss who had hired me left and a role came up for commercial director at that point i was bringing in as a single person in a hundred person company i was bringing in a second highest revenue by myself no department no support no help so i thought and I still to this day believe um, I deserve that role. So I went to the CEO and, you know, with a very strong case of why I should be the commercial director and was kindly told that I had no, ex- not not enough experience and um, I needed more education or something. So, you know, I'm pretty good at uh receiving criticism i guess and so i went and got my master's in finance but in the meantime and i did it while while i was still there um in the meantime they hired a commercial director who ended up being probably the worst person i've ever worked for but not just as a person he was really just bad at his job so i would pitch him a great idea and he would forget that i pitched it to him and then he would pitch it to me the next day as his own idea Mm. and i mean i just like couldn't stay and so one day I just got into like a real big tizzy with him and I just like quit and walked out the door. But um, I did not have money and I also had like not, I had no friends or family or anything kind of there to support me staying and I wanted to stay. And so I then applied for every sponsorship job in London and was, I didn't even get interviews or at all because my background was corporate sponsorship doing corporate events and sponsorship agencies are all sports sponsorship based. And I didn't understand that. I was, I didn't understand the market. I just had done a job and that was in the UK. That's my only experience. So I basically in the UK wanting to stay only have sponsorship experience. No sponsorship agencies would hire me. I didn't know what else to do. So I, I kind of decided to set up like a consultancy in my bedroom. Um, and I, I still have the business plan, but my business plan was, all I needed to make was 83,000 pounds. That's all I needed to make. And I would be able to keep my visa, you know, keep paying rent and I could stay in London. And within the first year, I mean, we had uh, secured Prince as a client and the rest is like history. It, like it blew up. So it was a, it's a good story. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, you, you land Prince, fine. You also land some other notable clients, including uh, Sir Richard Branson, the Rolling Stones, who you mentioned earlier, uh, Red Bull, Shell. These are tremendous names. Looking back, what were you doing? to land some of these big names? Honestly, my job, um, I had a different viewpoint than everybody else. So all of the sports agencies that were effectively my competitors, and I think originally just thought I was some little girl like running around, which quite frankly I was. I was like in my bedroom, like cold calling companies and stuff. Um, But um, my take it, you know, I was 20 years younger. Uh, I was female. Everybody was a man, came from an agency background in sports. So the way that traditional sponsorship is done is you pay for a logo, you put a logo on a jersey, et cetera. And that's that's the thing. But I had grown up in digital marketing, social media. That's um, I wouldn't say that that's my strength, but it certainly was where I cut my teeth in sponsorship. And I used to look at sponsorship packages as a holistic thing and how you find the right partners and then leverage them. So our argument was we would do we would do all the work. So um, I would take on a client get on the partners and then I would work for that client and all of the partners to make sure all of the activations were successful. I was also super young. So I was like agile. I had like a really young team and I was like, I would get on play and I would do anything. I like was a workaholic, but also, you know, I loved it. I really still now I could talk about sponsorship for hours. I loved it. Um, and I would have kept doing it to be honest, but I just, I really got burnt out. Richard Branson was my last client because I just, we just kept like, getting better and better at clients. And I just, I kept working more and more. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And so before I had Richard Branson, I, we sat down with the team, I restructured it. I said, okay, listen, like I cannot be the point person. Like we have got to find a new way to do this. Did, did you get to hang out with him ever? Yeah, of course. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. he's cool. great. He's great. He's, he's very unlike um, what you'd expect. He's like, I don't want to say this about Richard, uh, in an, it's not a negative thing, but he is retired. Like he's done his thing. Like if you sit there and you start like talking business with him, I mean, he will, he will just like not be interested, but he will chat with you about anything else like climate change, sustainability, kiteboarding, islands, water, anything that's not business. And he will talk for hours. So yeah, he's great. That's so fun. Um, okay. So, so you got burnt out. sounds like, but, um, you know, six years in, you sell the business to the marketing group for millions of bucks uh, or pounds <laughs> in your case, yeah, yeah. Um, which you said you negotiated yourself. So mm-hmm. what were the circumstances behind how this deal got put together? And looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, no, it was awful. I, just, I wish I would have told myself it was going to be awful. I'm glad I did everything the way I did it. I almost didn't, though. I would have rather sold to somebody different. Quite honestly, um, there was another offer on the table with smarter people, with people I would have liked to work with and actually still even now would love to work with them. Um, but it, the earnout was too big. It's just everybody wanted a three or five year earnout, and I just wasn't prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. Did you have an earnout with the marketing group? Did you have to stay on? 
no so that was that was the deal so it was all 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 the cash everything kind of up front i did stay on for a year to transition the business um i mean i guess in a way there was a year earn out so i got half the cash up front i remember when i sold it i was walking outside at 2 p.m and it just dawned on me i had not been outside ever in the daytime for as long as i could remember that wasn't work like i could not remember being outside in the middle of the afternoon ever which is insane um so i just took time off honestly i wasn't sure what i wanted to do i finally had all this money um I, I basically spent like 2018 getting drunk and doing all the fun things. Like <laughs> I went, I went to like Burning Man. I, I went to the dentist. I got a haircut. I got married, went to Provence, went to Napa Valley. I went to Mumbai for two months. I was just like living large. And then I was like flailing around a bit. So I, I took loads of meetings with private equity companies. I didn't really understand what private equity did. And then I tried to like hire myself as like an entrepreneur for hire at venture capital funds, but I didn't understand how venture capital funds were. So I didn't get any interviews there. I mean, this is my life. This is my life, Adam. I never get an interview in a, se in a sector. And then so I launched my own, um, but uh, I just didn't know what I was going to do. So I started angel investing, didn't do a great job at that. Didn't do a bad job. Didn't do a great job. Um, and now here we are. It's so interesting. I mean, I think it's the entrepreneurial way. Um, you know, it, there's no real linear career path. And I think that's part of the appeal and, and part of what's most exciting about it. So yeah, the ice wine business doesn't go the way that you wanted it to, but you drop uh, two books during this time frame. Rule Breaker comes out in 2021. A manifesto for a, a manifesto, excuse me, for a new wave of leadership. Uh, listening to you talk about your crappy old boss, it sounds like he could have benefited from this read. What's the thesis around this book? Truthfully, I mean, I'm a, so I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like a relatively successful entrepreneur. And the truth of the matter is, is like everything that anybody ever told me about being an entrepreneur or a business owner is wildly different to the way that I did it. Um, and I just honestly think most of the stuff that they talk about is bullshit. Like, I just think like advice from like senior people is kind of one of those things. And so really this book is about how to kind of take more confidence and trust in your instinct and figure out what's important to you. So I'm really lucky because I didn't know what sponsorship was, but I happen to really like, I love it. Yes, I'm good at it, but truth of it, I'm like, I really, really love it. And what I love about it is like, I really like a challenge. I really like things that are hard and I like to be right. And so it fits really, it was, it was happenstance. I didn't plan for that to happen. But when you have that, everything else kind of aligns, everything works, things are successful. And I think rather than approaching stuff like tech is a great sector to get into, I should apply myself to that. I think the truth of the matter is, I think you need to really figure out what it is that you like doing and then figure out how to capitalize that. And that's what the book is. Um, and it's less about, and I think there's a new way of leadership. And I think historically it has been very top down. Like it's been always, I mean, my old boss used to say this to me as well, like carrot and the stick, like, you know, how do we get the best out of people? How do we manage them? And that's not been my leadership. My leadership has been full transparency, pretty much, and like an open dialogue and also just like a collective work ethic. So I will, I will be the first person to do the shitty job. Um, and, you know, even to the last day that I was in the office, I was still the person buying the coffee, often making the coffee for everybody. 
you know, and usually the last person to, to turn off the lights when I left, you know, and so I just don't think old traditional management's like that. I think it's very much, let's find the best people and empower them. And I just think that's bullshit. I don't think young people want that. I don't want that from a manager. Um, I don't want to be empowered because I'm good enough. I want to work with people to achieve something together. And I think it's a very different mindset. And I think you'll see a lot. I mean, you do see that there's a big exodus of CEOs because A, they can't understand how to work in this way and B, they don't want to, but the younger generation do. What big name CEOs do you think understand this and execute this in terms of a management style? Like you talk about joining the front line and paving the way forward. Who does this well? I mean, I do, I, I will have to say Richard Branson is great at this because um, most people don't understand this, but most of his brands are licensing deals. So he empowers, it's a different way, but there are owners of those virgin businesses that is not Richard. And mm. Richard lends the name and the stuff and obviously his expertise and advice. And so in that sense, he's very collective, um, which is why I think he has also been super successful. I mean, Elon Musk is like the opposite, also super successful. <laughs> so Elon Musk thinks he is, I mean, he probably is the smartest person in any room, but you know, he is very his way or the highway. But I mean, it's Elon Musk. That's pretty, I don't think that really applies to everybody. As you make seed investments uh, through Sandbox in these companies that you identify, is this part of your investment criteria, let's say, to ensure that the founder CEO can roll up their sleeves and has this new sort of wave of leadership style? That's interesting. I've never thought of like thought of it like that. Yes and no. So what I look for when I do these investments, obviously everybody's like, oh, I'm I'm investing in the founder, which I also think is bullshit. Um I haven't actually like IP'd this or made this like a process, but what typically tends to happen because I'm an entrepreneur is within the call there'll be a pain point. And usually I'm like, okay, I can like let's look into that. Let me see if I can help you, etc. Um, and then I will usually do something. Um, and then give it back to the person. And then it's what happens after that that has been very interesting to me. There's two investments that I've really wanted to make and I have gone in out of my way to like do stuff for them that has helped them. And it's not been like they can't execute it quick enough. And that's a red flag for me. And then saying that there have been other companies that I was like, okay, I like it. I'll do a little bit of work or whatever. And then the founder's like on it, like, love this here. Can I turn this around, et cetera? I'm like, okay, this is somebody I want to back because this is somebody I can work with. So as that relates to leadership, I guess it does, you know, in a sense, but it's probably not something that I ever thought about. It's just something that I instinctively innately do. Yeah, but these character traits are important, you know, speed, responsiveness, uh, agility. Uh, you know, today things are moving so quickly. You can't be asleep at the wheel. So I kind of get what you're saying. Um, looking at Geo for a moment. So you spent time in London. Um, well, you're Canadian uh, first and foremost. You go to London and now you're in LA. Do you feel like you are in the right place now to build this thing? Why LA? And how does it differ from London, let's say, as a, as a home base? Personally, it's very different. <laughs> Professionally, the truth of the matter is, I was getting not bored of London, but I did London, you know, I came, I conquered, I got the t-shirt, I never did America. So America is a lot bigger. There's different nuances. It's a different challenge for me. Um, and I need a challenge to kind of like get me up in the morning. So it's, it's much harder. 
try 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 raising an American fund when you don't know any Americans. It's mm. not not an easy thing to do. Um, but but also you know talent is here, so there's more access. I think people there's just more there's just more. Everything's more here. There's more people, more deals, bigger bigger things. Um, and I mean, then per, like personally, we just had a kid, so we wanted to be closer to family. Do you feel like it was a better fit um, than New York? Let's say to do this. So I can't live in New York. There's something about, I just, people kind of like see me and they're like, oh, you're such a New Yorker, but I cannot, there's just too many people. There's too many people everywhere all the time. So LA really was the only option. One thing I wasn't clear on that I took a look at uh, prior to this episode was your little apprentice clip, uh, which people can see on YouTube. Were you on The Apprentice? It was part of my doing random shit in 2018. Uh Yes. So what happened there is um, I had sold my business. My husband was still working. I was like spending a lot of time watching television, being like, this is not how I should have been doing stuff. And I was just like, just drinking wine, I think waiting for him to come home. And I was watching a rerun of The Apprentice. I'm just naturally curious. And I was like, I wonder what the application looks like. So I went and I was like waiting for my husband. I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm curious about the questions. But the application style wasn't like go on and there's a whole thing. So I had to submit the answer to find the next question. So I ended up, it wasn't a long application. I ended up doing the whole application and I was like, oh, okay, random, submitted it. I ended up getting a call back and I was like, so, but also I wasn't going back to, I wasn't working. I didn't know what to do with my time. And I was like, and also curiosity. I was like, I wonder what the audition's like. So I went down to like BBC Studios and I was like, and I applied because I was just so interested to find out what happened. And then I got through to the next round and I was like, I wonder what the next round looks like. And then I did a screen test and I just kept going through the rounds. And then they called and said, you're in. And I was like, <laughs> and I remember being like, okay. I, like, I hung up the phone. I was like, I can't do this. Like, there's no way. I was with my husband and he's like, you should do it. I'm like, this is career suicide. Like, why would I do this? But I, again, I was like, I was like really interested. Like, do they really wake up at four in the morning? I was just like, I wonder what it's like. And so we, I, so I did it. I did it. I made it to week nine. It was so crazy. Um, And I mean, it was in a sense, a little bit of career suicide. So I used to, um, I used to get paid quite a lot of money to be keynote speakers um, and get like touted as an expert around the UK. But obviously, when you go on a show called The Apprentice, that kind of really kills any expert stuff that you're selling. Uh. Um, So my speaking gigs got like annihilated. I was like probably bringing in like 30, 40, 50 grand a year in speaking gigs. After The Apprentice, I brought in zero. So yes, I was on The Apprentice. I did really well. I got fired for being too good. Did you get up at four in the morning? I did, yes. So what what you don't know is that it takes like three hours to film getting outside the door. So it's like, it's so insane. So with all the stuff that you see is actually true, but it's like downtime of like setting up camera positions, getting a different angle. Somebody trips, somebody forgets to shut the door. Like it's it's those kind of things that take, so they're like, they're literally like 12 to 16 hour days. But like, there's like probably an hour of actual work and the most of it's just like sitting around. These people that are on the show, are, are they really business people? Like, do they have any business savvy whatsoever or are they, uh, you know, wannabe model, Instagram, social people? I don't know what you call them, but like wannabe celebrities. 
So I did not watch enough Apprentice episodes to understand who actually goes on The Apprentice. Like I just was kind of drunk and just decided to apply. I never did any research. It's hard to find actually um, Apprentice episodes because it's the BBC. But um, I just assumed everybody was a business person. But to your point, no. So there were many days where many people were talking about how famous they were going to be from The Apprentice. Um, all of which, I mean... I half of them without naming names are still like trying to like you know be relevant and it's just like a like a show that nobody really cares about um so there's more of that i think than actual business people but saying that there were a couple of people that really really had good business ideas i think that it's a mix of people really no this has been uh, a lot of fun thanks jackie for for lending the time um where can folks find out more about sandbox and obviously uh follow you so Sandbox can be found at uh, www.sandboxstudios.ventures. Um, and I'm kind of on all of the social handles at Jackie Fast. Well, best of luck. Um, I think you've got a unique value proposition. And um, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. Want to start your own podcast in 2022? Visit e2coursehub.com for more info on our step-by-step guide to bring your show to market. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.